So we're starting reading at Revelations chapter 8 and we'll, at this stage we'll read eight, chapter 8 and chapter 9. When he opened the seventh seal there was silence in heaven for about half an hour and I saw the seven angels who stand before God and to them were given seven trumpets. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of the saints, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning and an earthquake. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet and there came hail and fire mixed with blood and it was hurled down upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet And something like a huge mountain, all ablaze, was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light and also a third of the night. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blast of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down upon the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not given power to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes a man. During those days men will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. The locusts, looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads they wore something like crowns of gold, their faces resembled human faces, 
Their hair was like women's hair and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails and stings like scorpions and in their tails they had power to torment people for five months. They had as king over them the angel of the abyss whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon and in Greek Apollyon. The first woe is past, two other woes are yet to come. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet and I heard a voice coming from the horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates and the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was 200 million. I heard their number. The horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue and yellow as sulphur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions and out of their mouths came fire, smoke and sulphur. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke and sulphur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes, having heads with which they inflict injury. The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshipping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone and wood. Idols that cannot see or hear or walk. They did not repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality or their thefts. So far. So let's continue reading from chapter 10. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun and his legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. When he shouted, the, voice, the voices of the seven thunders spoke and when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write but I heard a voice from heaven say, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and he swore by him who lives for ever and ever who created the heavens and all that is in them the earth and all that is in it and the sea and all that is in it and said there will be no more delay. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet the mystery of God will be accomplished, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. 
Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Go, take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages and kings. I was given a reed like a a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar and count the worshippers there. But exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months and I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. These men have power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying and they have power to turn the water into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Now when they had finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, men from every tribe, every people, tribe, language and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. But after the three and a half days a breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. At that very hour there was a severe earthquake and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. The third woe is coming soon. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign for ever and ever. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God saying, We give thanks to you Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead 
and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints, and those who reverence your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant, and there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a great hailstorm. So far the reading of God's word. Thanks for that, John. Uh, It is such a long reading, it will be good for you to keep your Bibles nearby. Um, I'm not going to be referring to a lot of verses as we go along, but I will uh, be summarising them and speaking about them. Uh, And so it'll be good if you can follow, uh, if you can keep up as we work our way through these really graphic uh, and quite shocking passages. Let me pray and then we'll open them up. Heavenly Father, these pictures of the end times are very confronting. Uh, They're very graphic. They're full of confusing details and pictures which are hard for us to understand. And so we pray for your, uh, your help now. We pray that your spirit would open our ears and our hearts, that we would see what it is that you're trying to teach us, that we would see what it is that you're telling us of our times and of ourselves. Help us, uh, guide us, save us from distraction uh, and instead help us to see clearly uh, your message for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, When I was a lot younger, I remember going to a school fair and uh, one of the stalls at the school fair was get your own screen printed t-shirt. I'd never seen that before so we thought it was pretty cool. Uh, And so Dad said he'll buy me a t-shirt. You got to choose the shirt that you liked, you got to choose the print that you would like and then they would make it uh, while you watched and I guess you could pick up your t-shirt the next day or, or something like that. I don't know if you've ever seen them do this before. Uh, but what they do is they get the T-shirt, they stretch it out over its frame uh, and then they put on the first colour. They spread it out, they they put the print on, uh, then they take it off and you get this really vague outline uh, of the design you've chosen. It's kind of recognisable but it's missing stacks of detail. And then they get the second colour and they they spread the second colour on and again they lift the, 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 the print up and you can see a little bit more. You know, a few more details have emerged. The picture is just a little bit clearer, but it's still kind of fuzzy. It's not really uh, apparent what it's supposed to be. And so then they take the third colour. And again, they spread the third colour across, they lift the picture, and finally it's complete. And all the details emerge, and the print as you've chosen it is there, clear and, and plain to see. At Revelation is a bit like screen printing a T-shirt. Uh, There's lots of cycles in Revelation. We saw one a couple of weeks ago, the seven seals. Uh, We're seeing another one today, the seven trumpets. And each of these cycles adds detail to the overall picture. It's a bit vague at first. The outlines are clear. The second cycle adds a bit more. The final one paints the picture as it will stand. Well, today we're looking at the second cycle, the cycle of trumpets. It's a cycle that covers the same ground as the seals. We're still looking Uh, at that time between Jesus' first coming and his second. But what we see this morning is more detail, more nuances of what this time will look like appearing as we open up these trumpets. And what becomes clear to us 
especially clear in these trumpets is that God is speaking in these end times. God is not silent. God is not passive. God is speaking to his world. He's speaking words that we need to hear. He's speaking words that our world needs to hear. And he's speaking in a variety of different ways, three different ways, three different words, and that is how we're going to work our way through it this morning. If you've got an outline, you'll see those three different words. If you haven't yet got an outline, there's some in the foyer, and you can grab one now. Where we started our reading, way back at chapter 8, we see the opening of the last seal. Uh, Instead of something great and dramatic happening, what instead happens is silence in heaven. It's kind of strange. Uh, It's kind of bizarre. But we understand, because of the way these cycles work, that this is the judgment of God. And it's just not being described to us yet. It's so awesome, it's so incredible, that all that can be, the only reaction that really fits is just silence. Uh, And Revelation will later fill in the details of what that looks like. But what that silence does is it paves the way for the very next cycle of Revelation, the seven trumpets that we're looking at this morning. Now, as I said just a moment ago, these are not seven trumpets that take place after the seven seals, as if this was chronological. No, it is the same time. We are talking about our time. These are not past events. They are not future events only. This is today's events. They're like the seals, but they're different to the seals as well. If you remember what we saw a couple of weeks ago, you'll remember that the seals described disasters that were from mankind and toward mankind. It was war and it was violence, it was persecution and all the consequences of those things, disease, famine and the like. Well, the trumpets are a bit different. The trumpets are disasters, both natural and supernatural. These are external agents Uh, being unleashed by God upon the earth but also upon humanity. If you look at chapter 8 and glance through the four uh, trumpets, you'll see them described there. Now, these trumpets are about less, uh, less about events than they are about describing the scope of these disasters. We're not talking about discrete things that are going to happen. What we're being described here is the whole of creation being affected in these last days. Every aspect of it, the land, the sea, the waters, the heavens themselves, all of it is caught up in these end times, is caught up in what God is doing. Every part of creation is affected and every part of creation, in a sense, is being decreated. The the order that God had done, the, the way he had constructed them is now being eroded and broken down. It's not complete. Only a third of creation is affected each time. Uh, which is an escalation over the seals. You remember it was a quarter there. Well, now it's a third. Uh, but this is neither, not the end also. This is a picture of what God is doing in the world and it's a forewarning of what God will do at the end when the complete judgment comes. It is a picture of our time, uh, a world that is in anguish, a world that is suffering under the weight and consequences of humanity's sin. Uh, As Paul describes it in Romans 8, it is a creation that is groaning, that is burdened down under the weight of humanity's corruption. It is burdened and afflicted and suffering. That is what we'll see and that is what we do see in our time. Trumpets 5 and 6 shift that focus. 
Now the focus is away from the world so much and instead it is against mankind. But not just all of mankind, these uh, trumpets come against specifically unbelievers. It's explicit there in the fifth, uh, in chapter 9 verse 4, that this is against only those who don't have the seal of God on their foreheads. That is, those who are not believers, not part of God's people. That's explicit in the fifth, it's implied in the sixth seal. Uh, these judgments, these uh, trumpets are against the unsealed. We've seen natural powers against the world, now we've seen supernatural powers against humanity. Uh, the trumpets are described uh, as bringing forth two armies of spiritual beings that swarm upon the earth, these evil forces that have the power to torment and to kill. Uh, it's clear they're not literal beings. Uh, John uses very uh, picturesque, I guess, language, very uh, descriptive language to, de- to, to describe these armies. Uh, not, not that they are literal uh, numbers of forces that go, for, go forth. No, John's picking up on imagery from events of his day. He's picking up on locust swarms or on invading armies of cavalry and he's taking those pictures would be f- which would be familiar to his people and he's exaggerating them. He's saying, it's going to be like that but it's going to be so much worse. It's going to be far worse than anything you can imagine. These spiritual forces are going to go throughout the earth and they are going to bring spiritual attack on those who are unsealed, on the unbelievers. They have the power to inflict spiritual anguish, uh, even to the extent of hatred against God. Uh, We're told that they have the power to deceive, that the power of them is in their mouths. They have the power to lie, to lead astray, to even uh, blind humanity to spiritual truth, the spiritual truth that brings life. And so as a result, what these beings inflict on the earth is spiritual death and we're told that their work will be successful, that many will fall under their spell and die. Uh, It's a graphic reminder for us that what we see in our world is not all that there is. We live in a world in which there are very real and very active spiritual forces. There is a spiritual conflict going on all around us even though we only see its effects not its agents. It is no less real for us not seeing it or being able to measure or describe it. We live in a time of spiritual conflict. We live in the time of these fifth and sixth trumpets where those who do not believe, who are unsealed, will bear the brunt of these plagues. Uh, I don't know if you noticed this, as John was reading uh, through these six trumpets, these six plagues, that some of the language, some of the pictures uh, are familiar or a bit reminiscent of other parts of the Bible. Uh, If you notice that, you're right because what John is doing here is he is picking up on some of the images that we find in the book of Exodus and particularly in the ten plagues of Exodus. Uh, And he's doing it not just to, to, to put it into terms that we can understand, he's doing that to tell us something very important. He's saying that these plagues that that, that God is allowing upon the earth now have the same purpose, the same intent as those plagues did all the way back there in Egypt. He's saying God is inflicting this, this punishment not just for the sake of punishing, he's doing it as a warning. 
a warning to, to change the behaviour. He's, he's saying to the world, repent. Don't go down this path any longer. Repent and turn around because far worse is coming unless you do. But the real tragedy is we're told that the reaction of the world today will be the same as the reaction of the world back then. Look at chapter 9, verse 20 and 21. The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshipping idols and gold, uh, demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality or their thefts. All these things are going to come upon the earth. All of them are God's warning to the world to repent, to turn around and they are going to be ignored. The world is not going to listen. It might seem strange to us. I mean, How could anyone miss so many warning signs? How could it, someone ignore uh, such terrible things, such, such clear signs to turn around? But maybe I can ask you, well, how many speeding tickets does it take for you to change your driving pattern? Uh, I'm guessing that if you get a speeding ticket, you may drive better for one month. But you're quickly back to your old ways. Uh, how many warnings does it take from your doctor about your high blood pressure and high cholesterol to change your diet? How many more graphic pictures can they fit on a box of smokes? You know, we're pretty good at ignoring warnings, aren't we? Well, it should come as no surprise that our world then ignores the warnings of God, that it will continue despite them, especially when we realise what we're told here, that our world is being actively blinded, actively tormented by these spiritual forces that don't want them to turn around. In a sense, it seems a bit cruel, doesn't it? That, that God would bring these things on the world, even though people aren't going to respond. But what we need to understand is God has not left this world alone to its torment and trouble. It's not as if we see in Revelation, you know, God stepping back and, and washing his hands clean of this mess and saying, look, I'm not going to do anything. You, you just go along as you are and I'll throw a punishment your way every so often. That's not what we see at all. Instead, what we see is that God is actively involved here. God is the one directly calling these things because God is the one who is speaking in all this disaster and turmoil. He's the one who's, who's shouting in all these hurts and pains and he's saying to the world, repent, hear what I'm t saying to you, turn back. I mean, it's got to make us grieve, this picture, doesn't it? It's got to make us grieve for our world. And not just our world in general, not just the, the abstract idea of our world, it's got to make us grieve for our loved ones our friends and our family because they are caught up in this terror. This is not just happening in general or in abstract, this is happening to them. They are suffering under these trumpet blasts. They are caught up in this foretaste of the punishment and judgment of God. They are spiritually tormented. They are being spiritually deceived. They are being spiritually killed. The fifth and sixth trumpet blast are coming against them now. It's got to make us grieve. 
but it has also got to make us realise that we are at war in this world. We are in a fight for the souls of this world. See, when we look around us, those around us, our family, our friends, our workmates, our neighbours, they're not just neutral parties in some struggle that's going on between the church and, and the devil. They're actually trapped up. They're caught up in it. They're not free just as neutral parties to you know, uh, respond or to, to, to hear this whenever they feel like it. No, instead, they're, they're captives. They're deceived. They're enslaved. They're trapped. There are spiritual forces attacking them already, claiming them as their own. What are we going to do about that? I mean, say someone kidnaps your loved one, your child. They're, they're taken away. They're locked up. I mean, what are you going to do? You're not, you're not just going to parade around and say, look, I'm free, you know, they could be free if they wanted. All they have to do is see my freedom and then they'll be right. <laughs> of course not. You're going to call a higher power, aren't you? <laughs> you're going to be on the phone to the cops. You're going to be badgering them. Do something. Sort this out. You're going to do more. You're going to get busy searching, aren't you? And if you find your child, your loved one, you're going to do all in your power to free them. You're going to, you're going to break that cage down and if their kidnappers there, you're going to attack them. You're going to do something. You're going to do whatever it takes. Well, how could we do less for those around us, even our loved ones, who are held just as trapped, just as captive by evil powers? Because in fact that's exactly the job that God has given us to do. And he has given us all the tools to do that job. See, not only is God speaking today in the pains and disasters of this world, but he is speaking, he is sending forth his word in the testimony of his witnesses. And that's what we see in the next section uh, of Revelation uh, in chapter 10 we get this description of John himself uh, being recommissioned for his role as, as, as herald, as witness, as prophet. Uh, this mighty angel appears. Uh, from the description we, we get hints that this mighty angel may in fact be Jesus himself. Uh, and Jesus stands, or this angel stands before God with all authority, in all glory. Uh, he, he shouts and the seven thunders reply with, with these words that we're intrigued to hear. But John is told to seal back up. Uh, we're being told that Revelation tells us much of God's plan, but there's also much that we're not told. We, we've seen uh, the outline, but we're not going to see everything that is to happen. But regardless of that, what we are told is what's going to happen to John. Uh, John is told to take this little scroll, which represents God's words, to take it, to eat it, that is to make it part of himself, uh, and to speak it until all comes to an end, until the seventh trumpet is, is sounded. These words, uh, they're sweet in his mouth, they're, they're good and pleasing. After all, they're the words of God, the good news of God, but they're also sour because they're hard too. They're difficult because not only is this, this word good to those who respond, it is a word that's speaking of justice and eventually judgment to those who ignore it. It is sweet, but it is sour and John will announce it because he is God's prophet to the world. But what we find then in chapter 11 is that what is true of John is also true of all of God's people. 
John gets a unique commissioning but his commissioning is also then given to all of God's people. All God's people are actually called to be prophets of God. Uh, The church, God's people, are described in chapter 11 as his temple, uh, the place where God is found, the place where God is met. We're described then as his witnesses, those who bear testimony to and about him. We're described as olive trees and as lampstands to bear fruit for him and to shine for his glory. Uh, We are called, we are commissioned to testify to the words of God, to testify to the mystery of God that will be revealed in the time until the seventh trumpet comes, to testify to the gospel the good news that God has dealt with the sin of this world, he has shown grace in Jesus, that life is possible in him, that forgiveness and salvation are freely offered and that an end and justice will come. We are to take this sweet word, this word of God's mercy and grace and rescue and patience. Uh, as Peter described in 2 Peter chapter 3, where to go saying, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It's a sweet word, but it is a sour message as well. Because we're also proclaiming that God is holy, that God is just, and that He will not tolerate sin forever. But one day He will deal with the rebellion as it deserves. Uh, as Peter continues, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. We are prophets and the word we are given is a good word but it is a hard word too. It is grace but it's also a warning. Uh, When I was uh, a kid still living at home in Launceston, uh, one night we were woken rather abruptly by an incredibly loud and awful sound. Um, I'd never heard it before but I recognised it from movies. Uh, It was a World War II air raid siren absolutely deafening, incredible sound. If you've ever heard one, um, yeah, it's, it's just unmistakable and kind of bizarre to hear in Launceston. Uh, but we found out later, it was in the paper, that a farm uh, near the footy stadium in Launceston had recently installed one as a burglar alarm and they decided to test it. Um, <laughs> I don't think they ever got robbed. Man, it was incredible. But see, whilst that, that noise was a shock and then later a bit amusing for us, the problem was it was also heard in all the nursing homes in the city. Uh, and in those nursing homes were lots of residents who had lived through the Blitz in London. And for them, that sound wasn't mildly amusing. Uh, it was terrible. They had residents trying to get into bomb air raid shelters. Uh, they had residents listening out for planes. It was terrifying for these poor people. And see, what we're being told here is that the church's witness is a bit like an air raid siren. It is recognisable, but it is a shock. It brings horrific news. We're here to declare that danger is coming. There is awful things about to happen. But for the moment, safety is possible. Get there while you can. That's our message. I mean, that that air raid siren is a good thing, isn't it? It it, it warns, get to safety, get to a shelter. You have a chance. But it also warns that terrible things are coming. Our message is a good thing, though a hard thing, 
but our world will not be glad for it. As these verses make abundantly clear to us, our world will not appreciate it. It's true we are God's temple, but we're also described as being given over to the world to be trampled on. Not forever, but for a time until the end. Uh, we're described as prophets and our prophet, prophecy is, is cast in the, the, the terms of Elijah who was able to call down fire or Moses who was able to change water to blood. We're being promised to have great power, perhaps not to do those things, but even greater power, the power of the Spirit to change lives. And yet, like those prophets, we will be despised and oppressed. Our prophecy is even like Jesus. Do you see the description there in verse 7 through 12? Like him, hated, abused, opposed by both worldly and spiritual powers, perhaps even killed for the testimony. Like him to suffer, maybe even to death. And what's more, when that comes, not to the horror of the world, not to the mourning of the world, but to the rejoicing of the world, to their celebration. Now it is true, some, many even, will respond. Uh, that, that picture of the multitude gathered in Revelation 7, it will come through our witnessing, it will come through our prophecy. But many will also hate. They will reject the message and they will hate the messenger. And yet that is the work that God has given us. That is the work that God has given you and me. We are commissioned as his prophets to this world. That is the work that our church is here to complete. We are not just to be, we are first to be witnesses, bearing the testimony of God's grace and justice. We are to use our words to speak his words, words of grace, words of the coming wrath, words of escape from slavery and death and words of the consequences of sin. We won't be loved for sharing those words. Some will respond, by the grace of God, he, he promises to work through his word and he will. We can expect that. But many will also hate it. And in hating it, they will also hate you for sharing those words. Your family may end up hating you for sharing these words. They may reject you. They may cut you out of events. They may put you to the outer they may shun you and your children. Your friends might start avoiding you because of these words. They might reject you. They might push you away. You might lose your job for sharing these words. You might forever be looked over for promotion because you shared these words. The day may come where you may not be able to own a business for standing for these words, where the Christian schools will be closed because of these words. There is every chance that you or I could be put in prison, that you may even be put in prison just for coming to church or downloading a sermon. There is every chance that our church will be confiscated for these words. I mean, we should expect nothing less because that is exactly what we are being warned of here. We will suffer persecution in some form for sharing these words that God has given us. But there are promises for us here too. John is told to measure the temple. Uh, measuring is a sign of its permanence, of its dependability, of God's presence with us always. 
Uh, John's told to count the worshippers there, indicating that none of them will ever be lost despite what they go through. We are promised great power that God's Spirit himself would live within us and enabling us even through the most difficult of times. We're promised victory, even if it appears that the church, that believers have been utterly defeated, even wiped out. God will still bring life and cause us to endure. We will be afflicted, but we will never be eliminated. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. So far it's been pretty bad news. I'd apologise, but it's not my news. I'm simply the messenger. But there is some hope at the end here. There is some good news. There is disasters coming upon the earth. There is persecution coming on the church. But the final word is good. The final word is triumph. Because when the seventh trumpet is sounded, the end comes. And the end is not just nothingness, it's not just darkness, it's not just simply release. No, the end of all is victory. Because there the perfect reign of God that we have glimpsed in his throne room, it comes to earth revealed fully and brought about completely. The peace and power and glory that we saw there, it will fill the earth entirely. All that is broken will be fixed. All that is wrong will be made right and all that is bad will be washed away. Uh, God's temple will be opened, so to speak, and the ark, the sign of his presence, will be there for all to see. No longer veiled, no longer hidden away, but revealed. Nothing will stand between God and his people anymore. We will see him face to face and we will rejoice in him forever for on that day we're told he will come in power he will reign as he does now and he will deal with everyone as they deserve the rebels the oppressors will be judged all their offenses will finally meet justice and his people his servants his prophets his saints us will be rewarded God is not ignorant of our service. He's not ignorant of our suffering. He will reward all his people richly. I mean, we, we hate it, don't we? You know, you, you at work or at home, you do the extra job, you do the job that no one likes, you go above and beyond and no one even notices. No one, no one even acknowledges or praises you for all the things you've ever done. It, it, it drives us crazy. Well, this day is not going to be like that. Not like that at all. God will make it all right. Because he sees your quiet service. He sees your suffering that's unseen by others or misunderstood. He sees what you've done behind the scenes. He sees the hours you've spent in in witnessing to your friends so futile and fruitless it appears. And he will reward it all. And his reward will be glorious. Well done, good and faithful servant. As Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians 4, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. God will reward us for the service we give. So see this world for what it is. See it as Revelation is showing it to us, it, it to us here. 
It is a battleground of powers and the casualties of this war lie strewn all around us. See the church, see us for who we are. God's witnesses, his testimony, our good and hard word to bring even though despised and serve to that end as God's set apart prophets as his mouthpieces and voices to this dying world, suffering even as our Saviour did, yet serving gladly, knowing that all our labour will be richly rewarded in the end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you have not simply abandoned this world in the last days, but you still speak in so many ways and so clearly. Father, you would have been so justified uh, to abandon this world. It's such a a messed up uh, place. But mercifully, uh, in punishment through your people, you are still calling this world to repentance, to receive the grace that you freely offer in Jesus. Father, we pray that your word may be heard. We pray that it would be fruitful in our times. Open the ears, the eyes, the hearts of the lost who are all around us. Father, let them hear, let them see, let them realise their desperate state and their need for you. Save many, we pray. Rescue them from the coming wrath. Show them your mercy and forgive them. And Father, we pray, use us to this end. Uh, Help us to witness boldly. Help us to share this good but hard gospel world with the people all around us. Father, help us to be faithful in spite of the cost, in spite of the persecution we will suffer and help us to trust your power working in us. Lord, keep our eyes fixed on what's to come. Help us to remember that even though this work is is hard, uh, often unseen, often feeling fruitless, that when you return, you will reward wonderfully and gloriously. Father, help us cling to that promise. In Jesus' name, amen.